Kids, you all can be dismissed. And this, you guys remember Mr. Dallas Crouch. He's back again. We are thankful to have him here again with us today. I know he's excited as well. Um, so, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It. Thanks it's all for, yours. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. How are y'all this morning? Good. Um, as Matt said, my name is Dallas. I'm really happy to be here with you this morning, uh, especially on, on Child Dedication Day. Um, this is a day that we kind of rally around the next generation. I think it was Coach K from Duke Basketball who said, and this has stuck with me ever since, he said, it's not about what you achieve in life that matters, it's about what you leave behind that matters, right? And to raise up a new generation of Jesus followers, I don't think there's anything better we could do with our lives. So thank you for inviting me on this day. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in John chapter 13 today for most of our time. And while you're turning there, there's, there's a couple uh, of different things I want to do to kind of set up the scriptures here. There's, there's two primary ways, and certainly these are not the only ways, but two primary ways where people start to uh, kind of be interested in the idea of following Jesus. There's, there's many ways that God uses, but there's two that I can kind of identify as, as primary ways. And, and the first one is this, if you're taking notes, it's through the stories of others. People share what their life was like before Jesus. They describe their encounter with Jesus, and they show how their lives have been changed by the Holy Spirit since encountering this good news of Jesus. Uh, for example, we see in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, this woman has likely been outcast from her community due to her sin, and yet Jesus meets her. Je Jesus is compelled to meet her at this well and offers her this living water. And she's liberated so much in that moment that she just runs back and she tells everybody about this encounter with Jesus, right? So the outcast becomes the messenger of Jesus. That's the power of an encounter with Jesus. You take the Apostle Paul's story for another example. This is one of the most well-known examples, right? He was a serial killer, and then he became the dude that God defines what love is through. Think about that. Like one day he's chasing you around with a sword, and the next day he's like, hey, love is patient, love is kind, it's not rude. You're like, what? This is crazy. It only happens, this is a radical transformation, but it only happens through an encounter with Jesus. And my personal favorite example is the blind man from John chapter 9. He, he just boils this thing all the way down. He just says, all right, look, all I know is I was blind, I encountered Jesus, and then I was not blind. That's his story. And it's a wonderful, powerful story. We all have a story to tell. And maybe your story isn't like as radical sounding as some of those. Maybe your story is you came to start following Jesus when you were four years old. And things have been great. And you've been walking alongside of him. That's a wonderful and powerful story that God wants to use. So that's the first way. We, we talk about uh, who we were kind of before Jesus. We describe our encounter with Jesus, and then we talk about how he has sanctified us and worked in us since that time. That's the first one. The second one, this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time discussing today. It's, it's the, the way we radically love one another. 
Now, not just in any vague way, in a very distinct way. See, the idea of loving others is not a unique idea to Christians, right? If you look uh, in the Quran, if you look through uh, Judaism, there are even commands to love others in those books. And in fact, take it a step further, you don't even have to be religious at all to think that this is a good idea. There's a movement uh, in the atheist and agnostic communities that's talking about this theory of secular humanism, which uh, essentially is, is talking about, you know, do what is best for the well-being of others, right? This idea is not unique to Christianity, but here is what is unique, all right? What is unique is Jesus has called us to a completely different, radical manner of loving one another. And this manner, to me, is what changes everything. It separates Christianity from any other way of life. And we're going to read it here in John 13, starting in verse 34. This is Jesus talking. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. Now that's not a new command. Here it is. This is a brand new command. He says this, He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is what ought to make Christianity different. The fact that we have a God who is not just high above us, giving us commands and taking us taking notes and saying, you know, Dallas, you're doing a pretty good job on this. You need to do a little bit better with this. No, we have a God who is actually helpful, who has led the way, who has shown us the example of what it looks like, of what he's asking us to do. He demonstrates what it looks like to love other people. And then he asks us, as any good leader would do, he leads by example. He's never asked anything of us he wasn't willing to do himself. And I think there's something in us that knows that, that this is the kind of leader, this is the kind of model we need to follow, right? I mean, I'm not trying to pick on other ways of life, but, but there's this disconnect, there's this separation, there's this thought of God's up here and he's taking notes, but no, Jesus is here dwelling with us. He's a warrior king who leads us into battle, not sends us into battle. And there's a big difference, right? He says, I've led the way and all you have to do is follow me. As I've loved you, so you must love others, one another. He's laid it out for us. And then he says, if you do this, if you do this one thing, if you do this thing that I've shown you, if you love the way that I've loved you, this is how people will know that you're my disciple. When you love one another the way I've loved you, then they'll know. And it's not going to be by, by arguing our way forward or by our talents or our own strength or our skills or our discipline. In fact, Paul tells us in Galatians 5, and this is a bold statement, listen to this. He says, the only thing that counts, this is bold, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, the way of life of a Jesus follower should be so countercultural in a world that, that seeks power for self, the Christians should radically give of self and love one another in such a way that they share all things in common, withhold nothing from one another. And then what does God do with that? If you'll recall Acts 2, what does he do? He adds daily the number who are being saved. 
Acts 2, 44 through 47 says this. This is the blueprint right here. It says, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Question I want us to just kind of process through this morning as we move forward is do we reflect the Acts 2 church today? Do we withhold from each other? Do we cling tightly to or do we freely give away? Is everything on the table for us to live in such a manner? Are people being won over by this radical Jesus brand of loving one another? A uh, quick story. About 90 years after uh, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, um, we are at third, fourth, fifth generation Christians. Uh, there's nobody really who's, who's left of the time period of Jesus. And um, Caesar Hadrian, the Caesar of Rome at the time, he, um, he's really interested in these Christians because he keeps killing them. And they keep popping up. It's like he kills one and then three more just pop out of nowhere. He's like, what's the deal with this Christian way of life? Like, we keep trying to put it down and it keeps raising up even further. And so he, he sends one of his workers, uh, Aristides, to, uh, to spy on this group. He says, look, it's an illegal group. We keep killing them. I want to know what they're like. And uh, in fact, Aristides kind of goes above and beyond. He spends time with other groups of people. And he gives this detailed report of what his time living with the Christians was like. This is so interesting. And I'd encourage you to, to read more of this when you get time. But this is just a part of it. But he says this. He says, he says they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes away from the world, each one of them according to his ability gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And now listen to this. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour, they give thanks and they praise God for his loving kindness towards them. Aristides provides this, this great contrast in the letter between Christians and all other groups of, of people. He, he, he essentially, well not even essentially, he just literally says they're different. And this letter would start to uh, go around the community and people would start to read about the Christians and what they're like. And they started to sum up Christians with this one sentence. They said this, they said, behold how they love each other. That's what they were known by 
in that culture. Behold how they love each other. And being defined by their love, they began to win over the Roman culture, probably the most brutal people at this point in history. They, they began to win over these people so much that Rome itself became a Christian nation years and years and years later. They were won over by this idea, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. This, this is how they'll know. Christianity at that time was summed up, behold how they love one another. Behold how utterly different they live, right? They, they, they don't even count their own lives. They, I mean, they, these guys were being, you know, killed left and right, and they said, I'm going to be with my Savior one day. Do, do your worst, but while I'm here, I'm going to love in a radical way. I'm not going to withhold. I'm not going to cling to everything is on the table, and I'm going to love one another. How are Christians summed up by our culture today? Is it behold how they love each other, or is it something else? What if, what if this, what if the response of the unbeliever today was something like this? What if it was, you know, this whole Jesus thing seems kind of wacky, like raising from the dead, that, that stuff is kind of out there, but I got to hand it to these Christians. They sure do love each other. I mean, the way they love each other is so counter to anything I've ever seen. I mean, they're meeting together all the time. They're carrying each other's burdens. There's like no uh, selfish vein in their body. They just give. What if that was the response? That they don't do just a good job. Like they go so far beyond the pale to love one another for the benefit of others. This radical Jesus brand of love is how people will know that we're his disciple. I think a good question for us to ask today and each day is very simply, what does love require of me today? What does love require of me today? What does love require of me when, uh, when I'm at the store checking out? What does love require of me when I get home after a really difficult, stressful day and I don't really want to talk to anybody? What does love require of me then? What does love require of me when my kids are going absolutely nuts again today? What does love require of me in the classroom? What does love require of me today? And some of you come in here today and you're you're saying, Dallas, like, that idea sounds great. I'm very, I want to gravitate towards that idea. That's, that's a wonderful thing you're talking about. Um, but I don't really know. I don't really know what that kind of love looks like. You talk about, as I've loved you, love one another. But, but I don't really know how Jesus has loved me. Well, I started this message off by talking about the woman at the well and it's probably my favorite story in all of the scriptures. I just think the, the combination of grace and truth, the combination of power and love, I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. But the thing that gets me about this story every time is when it says this. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is he didn't. Um, Jews all the time would actually take that route and they'd go around Samaria because they didn't get along with the Samaritans. So he didn't have to go through Samaria. The, the reason he had to go through Samaria is because he was compelled to meet this woman there at the well. He was compelled to meet this woman who, was, who had five husbands and was living with a dude who was not her husband. 
he had to meet her at the well. He was compelled. He had to. And what he does is he offers her this living water. And, and I imagine and, and I concede that, you know, this isn't in the text, but this is just kind of me kind of, you know, painting the story. But I imagine that she's been beaten down by life for so long. She's been outcast. She's made some poor decisions. And she's had this weight on her for so long. And, and, and Jesus meeting her there and offering her this living water, I'd imagine that for the first time in a long time, she just runs back home. She just runs back and she says, I, I have this weight lifted because the one with all authority to condemn me actually offered me living water and not condemnation. John three seventeen says, he came into the world not to condemn the world, but that it might be saved through him. And he offered her living water. And, and after time of being lethargic and tired because she's been beaten down by her own sin, I'd imagine that for the first time in a long time, she just runs. The text says that she, she came to get water in the middle of the day, and she dropped her water, and she ran back and she told everybody. All these people that, that had outcast her, that maybe treated her unfairly, that maybe were the ones who condemned her, right? She runs back and she tells them. That's the power of an encounter with Jesus. His love for us is unmatched. Romans 8 tells us this. It says that nothing... And I don't know if, you know, there's, there's some conversation about what that word means, nothing. Nothing means nothing, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. See, Jesus loves you enough to, to honor your wishes, to say, okay, you don't have to choose me. You can live eternity without me if, if that's what you desire. But what he's not going to do is neglect to go to every height, every depth, every corner possible to pursue your heart. That's the God that we have. And you may be coming in here today and God's been pursuing your heart for a while, but you've kind of said no. Well, today's a good day to say yes. Today's a good day to say yes. Maybe you're that one, you, you hear the story of the 99 and, and Jesus leaves the 99 to pursue the one. Maybe you're here today and you're that one. I want to encourage you. He's after you. He loves you. And he's going to continue to not leave any stone unturned in pursuit of your heart. He loves you. And for the Jesus follower today, I want to encourage us with that question to reiterate. What does love require of me today? And if you feel like you're in that that mode of, you know what, I'm just kind of lethargic and I, I don't really, I can't really get there today to, to have the fuel and the energy. I don't want you to muster it in your own strength. I want you to go back to the well. I want you to go back to the well and I want you to pursue that living water again. God, remind me, remind me of your love. Remind me it's not in my own strength. Remind me of, of how you continue to pursue my heart, no strings attached, unconditionally. Remind me again. Remind me again. And then that energy is going to allow you to answer that question. What does love require of me today? Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you uh, first and foremost for who you are. The, the fact that like your love is not contingent on us. That, that you love without conditions. Father, thank you for that truth. 
Father, I thank you that, that you continue to pursue our hearts, that you don't turn your back when things are a struggle. Father, you continue to pursue us. It's just who you are. It's your nature. It's who you are. You, you, you are love. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that um, we can earn. Father, it's who you are. And we thank you. Father, we thank you for that. Father, demonstrate for us during this time of worship this love again. Father, help us to see it. Help us to cling to it. Help us to, help us to feel your presence close during this time. And Father, if there are people in here that um, have said no to you for a long time, I pray that today's the day they'll say, they'll say yes. Father, I thank you again for our stories. I thank you again that uh, six years ago, I couldn't have said two words up here, but your power and your love and your authority has reshaped my life and you've used that story for your glory. Father, use our stories for your glory. Father, help us to be a church that follows your blueprint as you've loved us, as you've led the way, as you have um, not asked anything of us that you weren't willing to do yourself and in fact did yourself. Father, thank you that you lead by example. Father, help us to just follow. Father, we love you a whole lot. In Jesus' name, amen.